Hello and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Kirsten Rolf, a techie, a data nerd from Germany. Kirsten, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Emma. So you grew up in a little village in Germany and you set your mm -hmm. eyes on going to Oxford. What did you dream of being back then? <laughs> so where I come from, Oxford is very far away. I grew up in a tiny little village in Germany, very remote, um, also from the next biggest city, which is Cologne in the west of Germany. And I had this dream of um, actually entering the world and always learning, meeting people that were interesting, really having an impact and I thought about where could I have that and where could I go? What is a place where life is actually happening? Because I had the feeling that life wasn't really happening where I lived. So um, I set my eyes on Oxford because I was very passionate about Latin and ancient Greek, about all the ancient texts. And Oxford was just globally the best place to go. And I thought I just ate my high and I'm just going to go there and then um, I'm just going to have a great career <laughs> in whatever I want to do. Um, and it really changed my life. Wow. So you went to Oxford to study classics. What did you become after you graduated? After I graduated, I straight went to journalism. I became a journalist. Um, I was a very passionate reporter for 10 years. Um, I reported on news and current affairs, business, the digital world, um, the Arab Spring. I reported from Beijing, from London, from Brussels for a long time. Um, and I was a very passionate reporter, always parachuting into other people's lives and seeing what they were like and seeing what needed to be changed. And then pointing, pointing, you know, the, the powerful view um, onto that problem so that uh, it could be solved eventually. And really just raising awareness for um, for the issues of communities, for the issues of technology, of course. that That's how I really got into technology um, and other things. Yeah, so this transformation into technology really interests me because you don't really think typically of, you know, classicists. <laughs> no. data and, you know, classicists journalism, I understand. But what really got you into data and tech? What really got me into data and tech were actually three things. Um, first, um, in 2011, the Arab Spring happened and the big platforms, Facebook, Twitter especially, played a huge role in um, galvanizing that movement. That movement that then you know, went to Tahrir Square and asked for freedom and eventually transformed uh, its country. Um, I was also really fascinated by how Obama ran his first and then also his second um, campaign with the help of grassroots people that organized over technology, um, essentially over all the, the platforms that we know now, but also finding each other uh, through there. And the third was that I moved to Beijing in 2012 um, for a while, and I observed a society there that basically was just run on technology and for better and for worse. It was a great time to be in Beijing because at that time we were still pretty free um, it was very interesting to get to know all the social networks there and how society is organized. At the same time, you could already see there all the negative issues um, that surround 
the digital technologies that we know today, you know, surveillance, um, suppression, um, censorship, all of those things. And these three events really showed me a world that was very complex, a digital and technology world, and that I wanted to understand better. And um, I also, I mean, at the time, remember that was when we thought that technology was still um, a silver bullet for saving the world. Um, and I wanted to be part of that. I really wanted to have an impact there. I really wanted to get into um, those those technologies. I wanted to understand them better. And I wanted to be a driver in there, someone that that really could also maybe galvanize a movement or empower people or just understand it better. And this is how I got into it as a journalist, dragged in there through these really big news events that I was a part of, um, and then taking it from there, basically. So you got a job working as nerd-in-chief for the yeah. German Chancellor Angela Merkel. What were the sort of issues that you were working on there? So when I got into the chancellery, the... Um, it, it wasn't very clear what I was supposed to work on, but there was a feeling that um, this was an extremely important issue that had been neglected by policymakers and decision makers for a long time. Um, so I really got to build the department the way I, as an expert at the time, wanted it to be. And that was, of course, an enormous chance and an amazing time um, really of hope and of really like, making stuff happen. And I worked along issues, I'd say along three, maybe four pillars. So there's first everything that Germany wanted to do both uh, nationally and, and in the European Union. So strategies on AI, on blockchain, on data, on quantum computing, really. Um, and just making Germany a more digital country and also driving the European Union with big legislations like um, the Data Act, the AI Act that we debate around so much. Um, so that's strategy and then monitoring the implementation of those strategy. That was pillar number one. Pillar number two was looking uh, towards the horizon and really finding out what is next in technology. What are the technologies that we really need to pay attention to, either because we want to be good at them um, as a country or because we see some ethical issues and, and they... Um, yeah, they could be potentially dangerous to our values. Um, so really having a foresight team that looks uh, towards the horizon and sees what's what's next and how we can best um, yeah, encounter it. And then the third pillar really was making government more digital and not just having digital service delivery, you know, how can I apply for my passport online, but also making the people in government um, more adaptive to the digital world because it's a very different thinking it's a very different mindset um so we trained about twelve thousand um civil servants in germany um across all ministries um for this new world and that was obviously a huge change management task and um, that was really interesting and then lastly um one pillar is of course security and cyber security and all that's that's related to that so while you're doing all of that, you really got to know Angela Merkel. So a little bit. I'm really interested. <laughs> what is like as a leader and as a person? I I think she was the biggest um, sort of argument for me to actually go into government and in administration. I never saw myself being a civil servant, but I really wanted to work for a leader that um, is a very principled leader. 
So with her, every decision that I've ever been part of, there was always reflection in the midst of action. And there were some pretty tough times, um, COVID, of course, but also you know other issues that Afghanistan, etc., that weren't necessarily digital issues, but where I could see how she thought about them and how deeply and intellectually rich um, her decisions were formed, but also always on the basis of really deep values that were important to her. And I've admired her chance to hold steady in an environment that likes to just be very fast and likes to be very news cycle driven. And I've admired how she never um, basically was overcome by headlines or something else that uh, can then drive decisions that are not maybe the best decisions. So I've really admired how she looks towards today and to this moment, but also towards a moment that is maybe months or years away. Um, and I've really enjoyed working with her um, because she's also a leader that is a really good mentor, um, especially for young people like me. Um, she's very funny. Um, I really like that. Um, she has a good sense of humor. But also she's really challenging, intellectually challenging. You could never go into a meeting and be only half prepared. Uh, because she herself is so intelligent, especially in my issues, like she's a quantum physicist, so she really knows <laughs> to the to the sort of last uh, dot uh, what what I'm talking about. Um, and she has this really huge ability to learn and soak up knowledge and then um, challenge you with it. Um, I was always amazed that even in the midst of COVID, she had these really detailed questions about data analysis, about AI. She never lost sight of what's uh, on the horizon, um, despite being in the middle of really hectic times when it comes to politics. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I definitely admire her a lot as a leader and I admire her a lot as a person because she has so much intellectual humility and is such a kind and good person at her core. Of course, she's a power person, right? I mean, she didn't become chancellor because um, she's not a power person um at the same time she always knew how to treat people especially people that were not as powerful as her well the way you describe her i mean she really sounds that you know the intellectual curiosity plus not knowing necessarily what the outcome should be that adaptive leadership feeling her way asking the good questions that's Quite a role model. Quite a role model. A very hard act to follow, I imagine. Yeah, but I think so. I, I mean, a lot of talk. yeah. No, sorry. Go on. I just, I mean, one thing that um, people always criticized in her is that she doesn't have a vision, like this grand vision for the country or for Europe. Um, but then, the way I observed it is that when you're in the middle of things such a vision can easily become an obstacle because you're clinging to something, but the world may change in very different ways and very unexpected ways. Like nobody foresaw COVID. Um, nobody can know what will happen to the technologies that we have now. And if you have that, that vision, how you, how you want the country to be in two years and then something happens, then you can't adapt to it. Um, you cannot hear other opinions and other people's um, ideas. And I think the ability to always hear them 
and value them is something that really made her such a good leader. Um, and that grand strategy was in the background, sure, but it wasn't such a fixed target that we always have to meet. Yeah, very interesting. When I look at tech, I kind of get scared. I think of all of these automated weapon system, how AI could be used to, you know, the killer robots, all of that stuff that really makes me nervous. But when I listen to you, you seem to be much more of a tech optimist. You think of all the positive things that tech can mm -hmm. help us with. So give me a sense of the potential of these emerging technologies. So I think for me, I'm a tech optimist because I have seen um, tech used in 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 a really great way. Um, I've also seen it used in a really bad way. So I'm not a, I'm not naive. I, I see all the dangers that you see also, and also all the issues. And I think it could very well go down that road, right? And it has gone probably in China um, and in other countries where it's been used only for the bad. But I do see that tech is something that when used right and when the talent is is led by a, a visionary leader that has the right ideas um, and there is amazing talent there and we just need a new type of leadership to lead it. Um, I think then, then tech can really be a catalyst for the world's greatest problems. Take climate change. Without artificial intelligence, we will not reach net zero. I think everyone now knows that um, because no one can design a carbon negative building, but artificial intelligence. No one can route a, an energy grid, but artificial intelligence. Food security and how we do trade and how we, you know, how we design supply chains, all of that can be made so much better with artificial intelligence. And there's, I mean, there's huge numbers of the, the CO2 footprint that AI can reduce, um, I mean, those numbers are, of course, disputed. It really depends. Um, but there is a huge potential there. And that goes for all the other technologies as well. I mean, just imagine all the talent that can be unearthed through connecting it to the world. Think about the whole of Africa. Think about someone sitting in a really remote village like the one that I come from, but in Africa, and then suddenly getting like a 5G connection to the world and being able to go to Oxford, to Harvard, to Yale, um, just virtually and then transforming the continent. And all of that is possible uh, with technology if we use it right. And I think this is also the right moment because there's so much talent on the street now and we just need the right kind of leadership to lead that, that movement and really make it happen. Um, and I do think tech can be used for the, for the greater good to alleviate poverty, inequality, climate change, it can be put to good use in the world's biggest problems, um, but it hasn't realized that potential just yet. These are huge issues. And I know while you've been at Yale, you've really been thinking a lot about all of these issues. And you've scheduled every hour of your day from your waking moment to the moment <laughs> you go to But despite that, you have carved out time to learn to play tennis. Yes. Why tennis? <laughs> What's it been for you? <laughs> so I actually set out two things. I set out tennis and ice skating, but tennis then eventually took over my heart and soul. Um, 
I really wanted to come here and do one thing where I wasn't sure that it would, would work out. I actually wanted to come here and do one thing that I would fail at very, you know, very deliberately. And if I set out to do something with my mind, I mean, this might sound a bit like full of myself, but at some point it will just, you know, work out. If I set out to do, you know, to learn like Japanese or something, I will be able to do it. But with something like tennis, I I was definitely, I mean, I have no feeling for balls at all. I have, I'm not very fit. I'm not a fast runner. I'm not very good at like racket sports at all. So there were lots and lots of things where I just wasn't sure that I would ever make any progress um, at all or that I would even, you know, not look silly or just, you know, I just really wanted something that uh, the potential to fail at and the road to failure that where I would learn from uh, was absolutely given. And tennis was for sure that that thing. And um I just thought, okay, if I fail, then I've learned something. I've learned how to fail and I've learned you know, how I am with failure. If I don't fail, then have some, I have something truly magical to take back with me from the fellowship that will always be related to this fellowship and to our, what I learned here and with the people here like you and others and you know our coach. Um, and I can take it back with me and and build on this. Like There will be one thing that is absolutely sustainable from the fellowship. So I prioritized it. Um, I'm not saying that I'm any good, but I definitely didn't fail, largely due to our coach, who's amazing. Um, but um, the, the potential for failure was was huge. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I, I chose tennis. <laughs> and you got me into it as well. And I absolutely love <laughs> I it. Did. Shout out to yes. Absolutely. Without Emma so can- Davis, you know, none of this would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirsten, it's been really great having you here at Yale and best of luck for the future. Thank you so much. It was a life-changing experience and um, it will be with me for years to come. Thanks so much. <laughs>